Hello, you are listening to Dream Infringement, your Monday night main squeeze. Dream Infringement is comprised of three lovely hosts, of which I, Jennifer Woodside, am one, along with my esteemed and beloved co-creators, Bobby and Emily Castillo. This is a Jennifer solo show tonight, but fear not, we'll be back as the three not musketeers, but radio broadcasters for the next show. My theme tonight is about the unusual and uncommon. When humans lift their voices in song, sometimes they have an unusual voice, an amazing talent, or they've tackled a very challenging song. Sometimes it's a combination, but we're going to delve into some of these singers and songs and see what the human voice can do. First off, the opera Fantastique by Jacques Offenbach, called The Tales of Hoffman. It is arguably the most difficult piece ever written for a soprano. The song has a French name that's beyond my level of even attempting it, but it's also known as just the doll song, since the character who performs it, Olympia, is a mechanical doll. So in the story, Hoffman is challenged to tell three great love stories. In part one, the Sandman, his first love is Olympia, an automaton created by a scientist. Hoffman falls in love with her, not knowing she's a mechanical doll. So she sings this incredibly challenging aria, and she kind of runs down and needs to be wound up, but Hoffman doesn't clue into that. They're dancing together, and this other man, Coppelius, appears, and he tears Olympia apart, no, to retaliate against the scientist. And Hoffman realizes he loved an automaton all along. Yeah, operas have interesting plots sometimes. This is sung by soprano Maria Alida. I watched quite a few of these performances. I have to say that most of them look really smug. They're hitting these high notes, they look directly at the camera, and they're just like, bring it. There's some smugness. I'm going to Google it. Those exact words are soprano smug. Uh, I'll let you know what I find. Here is the doll song. listening to that, I wondered, does Offenbach even like Sopranos? <laughs> Maybe he doesn't because they're smug. No, I did Google and I cannot generalize that they all are. There are a few <laughs> in online articles being called out specifically for smugness, but it's not like a, a thing like I imagined in my mind. So if those were high notes for a soprano, What's high notes for a tenor? This opera came out in 1835. It's composed by Vincenzo Bellini, and it's called I Puritani, or the Puritans. Bellini wrote the role of Arturo in this opera for a friend, Giovanni Rubini. And you know extreme sports? This is extreme singing. This is the high F above C, 
and almost every tenor on record, even Luciano Pavarotti, has had to cheat a little bit by using a falsetto voice to hit it. But Rubini could hit it in full chest voice, and once did so with so much power that he broke his own collarbone. What? Unfortunately, this being 1835, there's no like recording of him singing. Not to mention that this high F occurs at nearly the last scene after some two and a half hours of singing. So as to what's going on here, it's England, 1650, a Puritan stronghold is being threatened, but it's also Elvira's wedding day. So Ricardo enters and he is totally bummed. His promised bride, Elvira, loves another man, a Stuart partisan and they're getting married. So everyone gathers for the wedding, Arturo's there, but then he learns that King Charles' widow, Queen Enrichetta, is a prisoner in the castle and is soon to be taken to trial in London. And so Arturo offers to save her, even if it means his death. So he disguises her and he flees. Ricardo, I assume happily, tells of Arturo's escape with the queen, and soldiers rush off in pursuit. Elvira, believing herself betrayed, is overcome by madness. It says the townsfolk mourn her mental breakdown. Ricardo arrives to announce that Arturo has been condemned to death by Parliament. Her uncle tries to convince Ricardo to save Arturo. At first, he's very indignant. He's like, why would I do that? dead Arturo means I get to marry Elvira. But he's finally moved to help. There's a test. If Arturo returns as a friend, he shall live. If he returns as an armed enemy, he shall die. So he he comes, he sees Elvira. He's like, you're my only love. And soldiers rush in to arrest him. But just then, a diplomat arrives with news of the royalists' final defeat and a general amnesty for all offenders. The shock of this good news restores Elvira's senses, and all rejoice in peace as Elvira and Arturo embrace in their new happiness. I assume Ricardo goes off on his own to cry somewhere. The song title is Credici Misera, which translates into You Believed, Poor Thing. This rendition is being sung by opera singer John Osborne. I don't personally know opera singing that well, but I believe that there is a little bit of falsetto going on. I feel it's not a collarbone breaking high F is what I'm saying. So let's listen again to this high F and see if it sounds like it's coming like fully from his chest or if it's more of a kind of head voice falsetto. On YouTube, people have compiled videos of just singer after singer trying to hit this note with varying degrees of success and he really I thought he was the best one I thought again untrained ear here but does that stop me from having an opinion it does not obviously so changing gears 
I think this next set of songs is an interesting comparison of how the voice can change a lot as you get older and also how your personal style can change. And this is Willow Smith. The first song was released in 2010 when she was just nine years old. And we'll listen to a quick excerpt. So this next song was recorded a decade later in 2020, Meet Me at Our Spot, under the band name The Anxiety, along with Tyler Cole, and she's now 20 here. You can tell her voice deepened quite a bit, also she changed up her personal style a lot, and I don't know anybody that sounds quite like her. Okay, we're going to go in a different direction. This is the fastest rapper on record, Twista. This song came out in 1992, and his record hasn't been broken, even by Eminem, who has the second fastest rap song on record. I don't think anybody like physically is capable of beating Twista, though. He says it wasn't a conscious thing to rap fast. It was a conscious thing to be different. My tongue twister is that first and me took a deep breath. Flowing a lyrical magic, I'm gonna be marvelous, leaving a breaking them up and making a breaking a sweater, be making them jump at a sit up a living style, be kicking a pop and a rhythm, a rocking a pump and a lyrics up whatever side I'm making a rock and a floor, the rhythm, I'm bringing a tug of my comedy, give him a concept. I told you it was fast. I was curious because he is going so fast how distinct what he's saying really is and so I slowed it way down so you can see like how clear and distinctly he's pronouncing everything. Oh this dope rhythm I thought we pump pump pumping them up and I'm ready we begin them up and I hate this funky tempo I go I know. For what I can catch for a how fast he was going, I think he's pretty articulate. So that was kind of cool. So that's Mr. Tongue Twister. Yodeling. How does that work? Well, human voices have two distinct vocal registers, the head voice and the chest voice. And yodeling essentially involves singing an extended note that rapidly and repeatedly shifts in pitch between those two registers. This person I'm going to play, they've been called the Yodeling Queen. The Yodeler, she's part of a group, but her name is Melanie Osh, and it's Yodeln ist cool. So she's saying, Yodeling, it's cool. <laughs> They're very happy. I realize there's all the Yodels are, I'm sure there's got to be depressed emo Yodeling somewhere. Yeah? It can't all be this this happy, so chipper. Get your uh, accordions out and be prepared to be yodeled at, because yodeln ist cool. I looked up some of the lyrics and she's saying, yodeling, yes it's good, it gives you wings like Red Bull, everyone joins in the polka, yodeling gets into your blood, people can't get enough, and I'll yell, yodeling's a hit. 
Your Monday hasn't been complete until you've been yodeled at. And you have. I found this article that says, Swiss yodeling, yes, but why? A brief history. <laughs> and it said it evolved around Switzerland in the rural Alpine communities as a vital form of communication. It was used to call cow flocks and to communicate from village to village and mountain to mountain. I guess this carried a lot farther than saying like, George, is it raining over there? Oh, not probably not. Bjorn, is it is it raining over there? And then they, they would yodel back. The article ended saying that in the days of uh, social isolation that were part of COVID, the sound of a solitary yodeler on the next block or in the next village was particularly stirring. <laughs> I don't know why that is so funny to me being like man we're on lockdown and someone being like oh lady, oh lady and then you'd be like oh, I guess that is the mournful emo yodeling that that I was thinking about it was <laughs> the lockdown yodeling is probably where my emotional sweet spot would be I, I guess you could blare it in your car like drive down downtown road and just I, why not? I mean, really, what's stopping you? Live your life. If you want to crank yodeling, you crank it up. So this is another Guinness World Book Record holder. We had Fastest Rapper. And now this is Tim Storms of Missouri. And he holds the record for not just the widest vocal range, but also the lowest note produced by a human. His vocal range extends 10 octaves. So let, let's have a listen. It says that his uh, commercial success hasn't been that great, but he does have some songs out there. So let's hear the lowest note on record. I can see why he doesn't have a lot of commercial success because, well, for me personally, you might have really enjoyed it. I didn't. Uh, it makes me feel uh, uncomfortable because it sounds kind of like it doesn't feel good to sing, but there's just like a few moments where he starts singing just a little bit higher and it's like, ah, oh, it feels like I'm not being oppressed by this sort of sentient bass beat. Yeah, I don't like it. His voice is good. He just maybe needs to not rely on this, I guess, talent or skill that he has, or just use it very sparingly in his songs. That's what I would recommend were I in charge of anything to do with this man, which I'm not. This is just all my personal opinion. So, okay, onward to the next song. This scene, I mean, it sounds like it's about love and spring, joy. Let's let's look at the lyrics. Okay, 
The vengeance of hell boils in my heart. Death and despair flame about me. Hear gods of revenge. Hear a mother's oath. Well, that took a turn, didn't it? Yes, the song is about revenge. The queen wants revenge on Sarastro because he has kidnapped her daughter. So she gives her a daughter... she doesn't rescue her daughter. She's right there. No, she gives her daughter Pamina a knife and makes her swear to kill him on pain of her mother cursing her if she refuses. I must say, I like this song much better than Offenbach's The Doll Song, which I found kind of obnoxious. This one I find kind of melodic. Well done, Mozart. So moving on to the next song, we're going to learn about polyphonic singing, specifically Corsican polyphony. Polyphonic comes from the Greek polyphonos, which is having many tones or voices. It's the style of simultaneously combining a number of parts. Uh, When you hear the men in the background and they sound all like one kind of combined voice, harmonizing together, that's some polyphonic singing. So the song is being performed by a folk group called Georgian Voices, and it's originally by composer Revez Legidze, and the title is The Memory of Marco Maria, and it's a song about when Corsica proclaimed independence from Genoa in 1755. And several years later, Genoa sold the island to France. And so France was like, this is our island now. So the Corsicans fought back. And one day about 50 Corsican men were imprisoned. 11 were randomly selected and executed. And one of them was a 15 year old they say in the song but they think he was a 17 year old boy named Marco Maria Martini and so this song is about the injustice that happened to him he didn't have a trial and he was so young and you can definitely hear the emotion and it's a very immersive audio experience I think sad. I'm sorry, that was sad. It's very sad. Um, so I'm going to ease our way back into something that's less sad. Nina Simone. When I typed her name in, there was a lot of Google autocompletes. Like, how do you describe her voice? Is she a good singer? What's her voice like? <laughs> because it is hard to define. I read in kind of a, a magazine review, they quote her saying, describing her own voice she said sometimes I sound like gravel and sometimes I sound like coffee and cream the same magazine goes on to state it's often unstable fluctuating within both pitch and timber yet it's these imperfections that make a voice so beautiful it can be unpleasant at times but it's these cracks that allow the raw vulnerability within her voice to shine through She would say, I never set out to be a singer, so I don't think much about singing. Personally, she was a bit of an acquired taste for me. After a while, I was able to get more into 
the style of how she emoted in her music. I think I like the I've Got It Bad and That Ain't Good song. I think I'm going to go with that one. My poor heart is Next, we should talk about some Mongolian throat singing. Yes, throat singing is also called overtone singing, and it's a range of singing styles in which a vocalist sounds more than one pitch simultaneously. You'll notice in the song I'm going to play, there'll be the kind of like sound, and then it sounds like someone's whistling over it, and that's all coming from the same, same throat and throat singing necessitates activating different combinations of muscles to manipulate the resonating chambers of the vocal tract. It requires years of training to master. So the song I'm going to play, I couldn't find any sort of guide to pronouncing any of this, and so I apologize for what I'm about to do. So the song is called the Odugan Taiga song, and it's by an artist named Saidash Begsi Oglu Mongoosh, who's a Tuvan folk musician from Kaisel. The song is translates that I could find a translation for um, Mother Taiga, and it's about hunting reindeer. The loudest female vocal note on record was set by a Bulgarian singer named Similiana Zaharieva, and the vocal note peaked at 113.8 decibels, which is the same volume as a rock concert. She had to stand 8.2 feet from the sound meter and hold the note for 5 seconds. My favorite comment on this said, I need this sound for my morning alarm. It would be effective because it's, it is loud. However, if like myself, you are not a morning person and need to sort of be gently brought into the day by soft noises and coffee and breakfast, this is not the way for you to wake up. Let's hear her in action. Not the whole thing, though. No, not that. Remember, I said it was loud. I never said it was good or pleasant to listen to. I made no promises. Anyway, onward to the next song. Let's talk about Freddie Mercury. Every once in a while, I'll get on a crazy Googling spree, and I read that he thought about getting his teeth fixed but decided not to get any pulled because he kind of thought maybe that's why his voice was the way it was. No, he didn't have special singing teeth. So don't be afraid to go to the dentist, y'all. There's... I think since the movie on his life came out, a lot of people have been trying to analyze. Like, there's something different about his voice, but, like, what is it? Professor Christian Erbst 
says, according to his research, the key lies in Mercury's vibrato, which differs slightly from those of other classically trained singers. Uh, that typically an opera singer's vibrato has a frequency of about 5.5 to 6 hertz, and Freddie Mercury's was higher and irregular, and that created a very interesting, well, he said typical vocal fingerprint, but that seems like such a weird adjective. It's typical. I mean, his style is fascinating, but that vocal fingerprint is typical. My brain doesn't track that that's the word that should be there. He had incredible range, incredible control, magic teeth. One of my favorites of his is Somebody to Love. So let's listen to a playback of that vibrato and see if it sounds higher pitched and irregular uh, to you now that you've listened to all of these opera singers and different voices. Uh, we're all experts at this point, qualified to judge. So let's take a listen. I feel like I can hear it, but. I don't know if I think that because I was just told what I should be listening for or if I actually hear it. Is it the real life or is this just fantasy? Male arias, baritones. The one that might be the most difficult is Song to the Evening Star from Wagner's opera Tannhauser. It has really long lines that require the mastery of legato, one of the most difficult operatic skills to develop. Legato indicates musical notes that are played or sung smoothly and connected. The singer makes the transition from note to note with no intervening silence. This particular one starts in an awkward key. It's at the lower end of what most baritones would be comfortable with, and it just days in this awkward key. This particular awkward keyed performance is sung non-awkwardly by Florian Sempi. He does have very emotive eyebrows. Like his eyebrows are giving the performance of his face's life. So as for what's going on in this song, it's sung by the character Wolfram. His friend is away on a pilgrimage. They're in love with the same girl. But she's not doing so well because she's in love with the other guy and he's on a pilgrimage and all the pilgrims come back and there's no Tannhauser. So Wolfram's like, hey, uh, you know, shoulder to cry on. And she's like, I just want to be left alone. And so he sings this very sad song, which is complete foreshadowing, though, because she doesn't make it. Um, spoiler alert. I hope that's not devastating to you. However, this is like a few centuries old. So, I mean, I feel like I'm not just like giving it away right off the bat, you know. That is a man who can roll his R's with 
great precision. Listening to it though, I wonder if he's ever tempted in the middle of the performance to be like, this is really slow and long and I'm bored, can we just move on to the next song? Because it's it goes on for a very long time. I only played an excerpt because I'm a kind person. I I don't I would not have the fortitude to do that. But in the video that was a packed opera house and you'll notice like halfway through it somebody coughed this is like his performance of a lifetime and they're recording live and that cough is also recorded forever and that really bothers me that there's nothing I can do about it we can never get that moment back he can never uncough that cough that's a shame when I first heard the Moulin Rouge soundtrack there was one voice that really stood out to me. The artist's name is Alka Yagnik, and I'm going to play an excerpt from the song Hindi Sad Diamonds. So I know it's kind of a more classical Indian style music or way of singing, but I was intrigued with how she was able to stand out. She kind of just very much resonates. Uh, she's very famous in India for being what's called a playback singer, which is someone who does all the ghost singing for actresses in movies. So this song and movie is called Agartam Satho, and it shows a softer singing side of Alka Yagnik. Am I confident in my Indian pronunciations? No, no, I am not. So, why does the more classical Indian singing just sound so different? Uh, one reason is that. Western music uses a major minor tonal system. The complexity of Western music is in its harmonies and counterpoint. The music in India does not emphasize harmony and it does not feature counterpoint or chord progression. Instead, all of the interest and complexity lies within the melodies and the rhythms. And actually, our kind of music based on the only a few popular meters may sound overly similar and repetitive to someone accustomed to Indian music. I know it's stupid to think that like Western music is kind of how everybody does music. It was kind of surprising and interesting to understand that that is not how it has to be. That's not how it has to work. Beatboxing. This is the artist Darni. I like the songs where he's able to lay down a bunch of tracks and do many instrumental sounds all together. This song is called Trophia and it features singer Maya Nadalska. And so every sound you hear is not an instrument, it's a sound made by him. I've followed Darney on social media for a few years. He's kind of international, he's always in a different country, he can speak five to six other languages. If not speak, he can beatbox and rap in them. He's a Singaporean beatboxer based in Poland, 
Born and raised in Singapore, he has been lauded as one of Singapore's most prominent musical experts in the last decade, having won numerous international beatboxing competitions. And if you like beatboxing, looking at the videos of beatboxing competitions will not disappoint. They are So this next song is from another opera. I know, I don't really even like opera music that much, and yet I've really delved into it more than I ever have before. And there are some pieces I came away from this experience liking some individual pieces. So that's that's new. This one is for a baritone and it's considered one of the more challenging ones. It's like a, a rite of initiation. Like you're not a baritone until you attempt this, mainly because of the super fast wording and pacing in Italian. It's just, there's a lot. So on onward we go, the last song of the evening. So that Figaro, Figaro, Figaro song most of us have probably heard it. It's actually considered one of the greatest operas ever written. The opera is called The Marriage of Figaro and was composed in 1786 by Mozart. It continues the plot of the Barber of Seville. Rosina is now a countess. Dr. Bartolo is seeking revenge against Figaro for thwarting his plans to marry Rosina. And then there's this really creepy guy named Count Almaviva. He's given Figaro a job and is like, hey, you know that thing where servant girls like your bride Susanna, they just, you know, they they hang out with the Count on their wedding night, you know, before she hangs out with the, the groom, you know. I really like that tradition. So the Count keeps finding excuses not to marry them. Figaro, Susanna, and the Countess conspire to embarrass the Count, and he retaliates by trying to make Figaro legally marry a woman old enough to be his mother, but then ends up really being his mother. But they finally pull off their marriage, no Count involved. That Figaro song is actually called Largo El Factotum. It's a song about being a really high-in-demand barber. Some of the lyrics are razors and brushes, lames and scissors, at my command, everything's here. Oh, what a great way to live. What a great pleasure for a barber of quality. Everyone asks for me. Everyone wants me. Women, guys, old men, girls, Figaro. Oh my, what a crowd. One at a time. Figaro here. Figaro there. This is being performed by opera singer Ettore Bastianini. Well, we've reached the end of the show. That was quite the trip, wasn't it? And I hope you learned a lot with me. I certainly did. The gang, the whole gang, will be back, and they will not make you listen to opera music or yodeling or 
loud Bulgarian singers. <laughs> I, I promise. And you can find our past episodes on iTunes or SoundCloud where we discuss many topics that are not yodeling. So I must add, I was telling my mom about the lonely COVID yodelers and she said that in the park today there was a man yodeling. There are yodelers among us. I just thought I, you know, my public service announcement, beware of random men yodeling in the park. With that said, I hope you have a very nice week. Till we meet again next Monday, this is Jennifer signing out.